0: Welcome back to another episode of the Testudo Times podcast. Sam Ostry here alongside Ben Dixon. We are back after the new year. Happy New Year to all of our listeners out there. We hope we wish everyone a happy and healthy 2023. Ben, how are you?
1: Doing well, Sam. Happy New Year to all
0: of our listeners as well. We got a lot to get to today,
1: so uh, let's, let's dive right into it.
0: Yeah, we do. So it's been a couple of weeks since we've been on air. Um, and then there's been a couple of men's basketball games, which we'll certainly get to. We will get to men's basketball. Trust me, we will talk about that Michigan game when we talk about this upcoming Rutgers game. But we're going to start on a more positive note uh, with Maryland football in the Dukes-Mayo Bowl. Obviously, uh, on the, uh, last week, Maryland won their eighth game this season, won a bowl game for, in back-to-back seasons for the first time since 2002-2003. The first time they won eight games in a season since 2010. Um, A, a lot of uh, kind of record-breaking momentous things happen in that bowl game, even though it wasn't a great game. It was pretty ugly, especially offensively for much of the game. Maryland ends up beating NC State 16 to 12. Maryland's defense was phenomenal. But we're going to talk about the bowl game um, on a micro level, and then we'll talk about the season and the eight wins and what that means on a macro level. But first, let's talk about this bowl game. What what were some of your impressions and takeaways from Merlin's last game of the 2022 season, even though Loxley loves to say that it's really the start of the 2023 season?
1: Yeah, um, if you haven't, I'm kind of going to go off my takeaways that I wrote on site, kind of two of them at that micro level you mentioned and one of them, big picture. I think you got to start with the defense. Uh, the second half defense was the theme for Watson, 75% of the season. like, And it came up clutch once again yep. um, against NC State. NC State scored three points all in the fourth quarter in, this, in the second half, excuse me, um, didn't score a single touchdown. It, it was just, you know, another... Clutch defensive performance, making plays when they needed to. Ja'Cory and Bennett, obviously, with the clutch interception as well. But the defense stood strong in short yardage situations. NC State kind of was was pretty conservative, uh, I'm going to say, in their play calling. Um, They did go for some kicks when they could have gone for it at times. and, And Maryland definitely benefited um, As a reflection of that, and NC State's offense, um, with Ben Finley, a quarterback, I think it was a second or third career start, was clearly not good, but I don't think that's the story there. I think Maryland's defense was outstanding, did enough to, to secure a bowl win, secure an eighth win in the season for the first time since 2010. And then, of course, Sam, I think we got to point to what the pass catchers did in this game, given that you know, four of the top pass catchers were gone. Um, Dante Demas. Uh, Rakim Jarrett and Jacob Copeland all opted out ahead of the 2023 NFL draft and then C.J. Dupree who Talia Tugavailoa, uh established a great rapport with uh, this season he's off to Alabama so it kind of Jay Sean Jones was back. Maybe his, his last game as a Terp, maybe not still considering that sixth year in a Maryland uniform. And it was going to be him leading the corpse with Ty Felton, uh, another reliable tight end, Corey digest. And then of course, Octavian Smith jr. The freshman who played a little bit this year, but really had a a breakout performance in this bowl game. I think you have to love what you saw, what you saw there. Uh, Talia wasn't great in this game, obviously didn't start. Um, Billy did uh, for, you know, what we think is disciplinary reasons, um, but I think the defense and the pass catchers are probably the two biggest takeaways for me from that game in terms of, you know, just looking at it from that that single game uh independent of everything else level.
0: Yeah, starting with the offense for Maryland, we will of course get to the defense, which was the the, the better unit in that game. But yeah, like you said, Talia didn't start um uh what we believe to be disciplinary reasons we don't really I don't we don't think it was a big deal or anything like that but he didn't start the, so he just didn't play the first series and but Billy Edwards actually had a huge completion to Deshaun Sean Jones on that drive that set them up right outside the red zone looks like they were going to get um get momentum into Talia coming in for the next drive and they they were going to score a touchdown at least they obviously settled for a field goal there uh, which was a little disappointing, but it was still a good start. Then it took Talia kind of a while to get into a rhythm. Like you said, part of that is because it's a very different receiving core. Um, obviously, he had a month to practice with those guys and had been all season, but it's a very different receiving core, especially the starters, that he had in the uh, throughout the regular season. Deshaun Jones was still there, of course, but Ty Felton was a major guy. Octavian Smith Jr. was a major guy. They combined for seven catches um, and, and over 100 yards combined between the two of them. And obviously, Octavian Smith Jr. had... Had a great touchdown grab. Probably Talia's best of the day was on that touchdown. Beautifully, beautifully lofted ball to the left corner of the end zone. But Octavian came down with a huge catch and showed a little glimpse of what might be to come and what should be to come um, for Maryland's offense next year. Obviously, Corey Deitch was there throughout the regular season as the tight end, but CJ Dupree wasn't there. So it was a little bit of an adjustment for Talia, and we saw that. Um and he found his rhythm as the game went on, but he he didn't have a perfect game or really a good game by any means. He was nineteen for thirty seven two hundred and twenty one yards one touchdown, and two interceptions uh so it wasn't it was it wasn't his best game by any means he wasn't really great, but that's that's indicative of the scoreboard They only scored one touchdown had to settle for a bunch of field goals when they were in or near the red area, and they only finished with sixteen points um but it was the defense <clears throat> that came up huge, like you talk about that second half defense and and look, Finley, NC State's quarterback. He he was pretty bad. He's a freshman. He's not great. They do have the the best kicker in all of college football this year, the Lou Garza Award winner, Chris Dunn for NC State, who who had four field goals and and had a phenomenal day. So they were kind of settling and being conservative, I think, because of that, because they knew they had a huge leg to come in and make kicks. But their offense was bad. Um, but and but you also have to give credit to to maryland's defense and obviously jacorian bennett who came up with the game sealing interception at the end maryland's defense was was phenomenal they allowed them to 27 rushing yards and nc state threw the ball 48 times in the game which is a lot they didn't run the ball a whole lot but maryland's defense throughout the regular season really struggled in the rush game so when they only averaged 1.5 yards a carry and finished with 27 rushing yards that that's impressive by that defense, and of course the secondary, which was the strength all year. You saw some of the younger guys in there, like Gavin Gibson. Um, he he had a solid performance. It was just an all around incredible effort by the defense in in the last game of the season.
1: Yeah, back to your point about uh, Talia. Quickly, th- those two interceptions were terrible, terrible interceptions. He took three sacks as well. I think one where he just kept going back, back, and back before he took a loss of like twenty yards. But on to the defense. Um, you know, you talk about this defense's performance. I talked about it. You talked about it. It was the decider in this game. It, I I understand that NC State's offense was not good. I understand Ben Finley was not a very good quarterback at all. Uh, maybe he will be uh, one day, but he was not in that game against the Terps. I think it just speaks volumes to the character of this, def- of this defense, the fact that they were able to step up. You know, just Corey Bennett didn't really do much all game and then made that game ceiling play at the end. I think what a way for him to go out and wrap up his Maryland career um, Jay Sean Barm had a nice game to wrap up his freshman season. Uh three solo tackles, five total. Um, and how about, you know, Fanage Gote coming up with not only that interception on NC State's first play from scrimmage, but I think he also put together a, a pretty complete game. And I thought the linebackers played a, a pretty good game between those two. Ruben Hippolyte was making some plays as well. Um, and then it was Bo Braid, the, the safety who led the team with seven total tackles. Um and I, I think one thing that Loxley brought up post-game, which kind of stood out to me. Um, You know, all these schools talking about, oh, if you enter the transfer portal, you can't play in in, in the bowl game, which I think is true on some levels. Like, obviously, C.J. Dupree was not going to play in this bowl game after he transferred. I think the same can be said for, you know, Ahmad McCullough, even though that probably wasn't as, as much of a bad blood departure there, uh, just given the fact that they're going to be moving on to greener pastures. But for a guy like, you know, Austin Fontaine, who's already signed with Charlotte, to come in and make plays and contribute, I, I think it just speaks volumes to – how this team and how this program has developed over the past four years since Locksley arrived and kind of just the the brotherhood, which Ja'Cory and Bennett spoke about after the game, and just the togetherness of that unit for it to come up clutch once again, excuse me, and kind of lift that Maryland – Tyrpin 2022 team to an eighth win. I think it was pretty impressive.
0: Yeah, and and you know you can talk a lot about Maryland football's program the limitations and and Loxley's in game coaching, and that's what a lot of the critics talk about. There's no doubt about the culture um, of this team, and you're reminded by that when a game like this, because you're, it's a good point about the the transfers that that want to come and still play even though they're off to greener pastures. But it's not just the transfers; it's the seniors who are going to be get drafted in the NFL draft. Like you talk about Jacorian Bennett, who had the game-sealing interception to wrap up his Maryland career. He's going to the NFL draft. There's a very good chance he gets drafted. Spencer Anderson, Jalen Duncan, obviously the receivers forego the draft and, and or forego the bowl game and and, and just start preparing for the draft. But that's what almost everyone does well, who are pretty sure they're going to get drafted. But when you see a guy like Jalen Duncan, Spencer Anderson, Jacorian Bennett come back and play the last game when there's really not a lot of benefit from the outside, like it's kind of a meaningless bowl game, um from everyone from the outside, but to them and the inside, it, it means the world to them because of that's and that's a credit to the culture that Loxley's created and how these guys want to play for each other and play for him. So when, when people criticize throughout the regular season, when they get blown out and really bullied by Penn State, um lose a game they hundred percent should have won to Purdue. Uh you know, you can talk about the in-game coaching. You can talk about if you should keep Dan Enos around. But the one thing that's certain is that he took over a program and going this is a little bit segueing into the macro picture on this season, but he took over a program that was in complete disarray, controversy riddled, and he's create created an incredibly strong foundation and culture, probably one of the best cultures um in the Big Ten. And and you're seeing that with the recruits that he's getting year after year after year. And the guys that are staying, because you know, you're, you're going to get a fair share of sprinkles of uh, transfer portal departures every season, no matter what. And Maryland's had some notable ones over the years, but there's not a lot of guys that are, are begging to get out of this program like there are at some other schools. And it really speaks uh, to, to the culture and the foundation that he's created and the trust these players and their families have in him and what he's building.
1: Absolutely, I think you got to give him a lot of credit. And I wrote about it. And I think this is the sentiment um, for a lot of the fan base: is like you said, Sam, the program was in disarray when he took over, and it's not anymore. The expectation is that it's going to be bowl eligible every year. It's now a one-game improvement from last season, back-to-back bowl wins for the first time in 20 years, and eight wins for the first time since 2010. That's an accomplishment that that should be celebrated. I know from a big-picture college football standpoint when you're comparing it to some sec programs or other programs in the big ten it's not that big of a deal but for maryland it is and i think for loxley he realizes that i mean i think that presser after the nc state game just a a side note here sam i think you'd agree with this that was probably the best presser we've we've seen from him yeah i don't think we've ever
0: seen him that excited ever in your two years and a little emotional too
1: emotional it just speaks volumes to what he's kind of built with that program but of course you talk about the the moral victories against Michigan and Ohio State to Big Ten contenders, Big Ten champions, college football playoff teams, pushing them to the brink. Sure, that's a moral victory. Um, you got to turn those into wins in the future. But I think those that's something to celebrate this year. But I think the loss to Wisconsin, the loss to Penn State and the loss to Purdue are going to be the three things that a lot of people – remember from this season probably not overwhelming because it did end on a really high note and the program is heading into uh the right direction as you see with the transfer class and how the signing day has shaped up and and maybe they're getting a five-star nick harbour in the in the month to come but i think taking that next step now loxley has openly talked about it in these past three weeks i think the first time he mentioned it was on early national signing day and he mentioned it post game as well they got to start competing for big 10 champions championships excuse me and People may laugh at them, whether it's fans of Terps, fans of other teams, the media, Um, who knows if it's possible. But I think the fact that he's even gotten to the point where the next step has gone from, you know, three wins to back to back bowl wins for the first time in 20 years. And you could start thinking beyond that and you can start getting talent into your program and building in the trenches and building at skill positions where you can maybe compete with some of these other teams. I think the fact we're even having this discussion and the fact that this thought exists is a big deal. Yeah. It's the old
0: adage. Excuse me. It's the old adage. You know, it's, it's, you know, when you look at, um, you, when you have a little bit of success, yeah, excuse me, that's what I was trying to say. It's the old adage. When you have, I had to think about it for a second, this phrase, when you have a little bit of success, you want even more success, but sometimes it's important to look back on where you came, where you came from and how far you've come to get even a little bit of success. And that applies to Maryland more than any other program, I think, because this is a team that was, in the absolute gutter of the Big Ten, embarrassment, laughing stock, a joke. Like I said, controver- controversy riddled program. Just three years ago in Loxley's first season in 2019, and yes, they're not competing for Big Ten championships right now. Championships right now. I don't think they're particularly close yet, I but agree. they're they're in the middle of the pack. They are a relevant football program in the Big Ten and on the national stage, and they're solely in the middle of the pack. You know, they're in that tier two of the Big Ten and really the Big Ten East, but we're going to get away with divisions pretty soon. So really of the Big Ten in that in that tier two, maybe tier three range. But that's the middle of the pack of a Big Ten when just three years ago, they were a three-win team. That's a five-win improvement in, in three years. Now, that is no small feat. So yeah, fans, when they get a little bit of success, they want to compete for the Big Ten championship. They want to knock off the Penn States um, and, and get that upset over Michigan or, or, or Ohio State. But also appreciate when you're looking back on these last three years and this season in particular how far this program's come and, and to get that eventual success to actually compete for a Big Ten championship you need to have a little bit of success and that's what they're having right now with their first eight win season in 12 years.
1: No doubt and they say you know Rome wasn't built in a day and who knows if this is a program that can build Rome uh, per se but the fact that it, the program is building, like Manu both said, it, it, is a big deal, and the fact they can even think about the level beyond which I don't think they're they're at yet. I don't I don't think they're that close. Um, but I think the fact that they they can be an eight win team, maybe in the Big Ten, is I think Maryland fans will be happy with that year in and year out.
0: Yeah, I mean Loxley joke, like like I think Ray Charles could see like how far we've come in, in four years, in his four years here. And it's 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 it was funny, but it's it's pretty true. Like like literally anybody uh could see the obvious strides um that have been made. But let's just talk about this season uh as a whole. You know, what like you talked a little bit about that Purdue game, those Penn State games. What are your memories gonna be? Because when you look back at this season, This was a talented team, and that speaks to the recruiting and the job that Loxley's done, bringing guys in. But I also think this team was even more talented than Nate Wins. And when you look back on this season, they were really close to upsetting two of the best teams in the country, Michigan and Ohio State. You can't fault them for coming close against programs and teams that are just well above, head and shoulders above them at this point. The Purdue game I'll never get over because it was such a winnable game. I thought Maryland was the better team, even though Purdue is obviously good, even though they just got smacked by LSU the other day with Drew Brees coaching. <laughs> but uh, I, Maryland, Maryland was the better team. Three turnovers of defense force in the first half that they converted zero points on offensively. I'll never get over that. Um, and then obviously they, have a, they get an extra point block. They still have a chance to win it late in two with the two-point conversion penalty flag. Don't get it the second time. They lose that Purdue game, and then just going the month of November, where you're like, it's so obvious that the where this program needs to make the biggest jump next is on, in the trenches and on the offensive and defensive line, where they got embarrassed in the rain by Wisconsin and then absolutely bullied every sense of the word by Penn State on the road. So, what are you kind of like your memories, takeaways um, from this season?
1: Yeah, I mean, I wrote blowout losses to Wisconsin and Penn State, and a home loss to Purdue should be deemed unacceptable, which I think. Remains true. I think that Purdue game that you just talked about, don't need to to dive into it completely and and bring back the, uh, the horrors that Terps fans might have experienced from that loss, but losses like that and losses where you're completely blown out and it's clear that you're on another level than the teams of Penn state and Wisconsin can't happen in the future. I think from a negative standpoint, that's what you take away. I'm going to go the positive route here. I think we talked about the second half defense and the adjustments made at halftime. I think Brian Williams deserves a ton of credit for what yeah. he was able to do this year because look, Maryland's defensive line really like wasn't that good this year. Like Ami Fina, was was they to struggled like, with the, went, the
0: quarterback all season.
1: Right. Like, like those, those guys that I just mentioned were like cornerstones of the defensive line, but it wasn't like, right. They couldn't get to the quarterback. Like you mentioned, there were times where they, they couldn't stop a nosebleed in the run game. Um, but you know, they, they found some gems. I think their starting safety duo of, of Bo Braid and, and, uh, Dante Trader Jr. is going to be one next year that's going to be one to be reckoned with in the Big Ten if they weren't this year already. Um, Jay Sean Barham should be coming back for his sophomore year. I mean, freshman All-American, talk about him. Um, and then I think Finajay Gote is one more year of eligibility if he decides to use it. Uh, Ruben Hippolyte should be back as well, Tar Heap still. And then they're bringing in um, some transfers with uh, Jaquan Shepard and-, and Avante Williams adding to that secondary. So this is a defense that will get more talented next year. You bring in a bunch of four-star pass rushers as well. And I think Brian Williams is the right guy for it. It's crazy to even think about that before the season. Um, I know it was an underlying storyline during you know basketball season last year when Maryland, quote-unquote, hired Kevin Steele from, or to be the defensive coordinator, and he had his own office for a week, and it was never put pen to paper, and he left for Miami. So Brian Williams wasn't even going to get that opportunity to be the lone defensive coordinator after calling the last two games of uh, the 2021 season. But he did, and I think he – completely capitalized I think Maryland's going to need to do what it takes to keep him on the Maryland sideline because his name is definitely becoming a hot commodity in the coaching industry and specifically as a defensive coordinator Um, I think he deserves a lot of credit and I think that his you know unit is one thing and, and what he's done this season is something I'll remember from this season
0: yeah, I mean it's a great point to bring him up because he he is one of those rising stars in the coaching. We kinda of saw that with Mike Miller, <clears throat> and then he took a job as the offensive coordinator. He was the tight ends coach for Maryland. Now he took a job with the offensive coordinator for Charlotte. Um and he's continuing to rise in the ranks. But Brian Williams is another guy. He's been with Maryland forever. So it was it was you know, it was almost like inevitable that he was gonna get one of these uh high positions with Maryland and he was the defensive play caller for the last two games of last season against Rutgers and in the bowl game against um Virginia Tech in the pinstripe bowl and he was phenomenal he earned that spot but it is kind of funny that they were pretty close to to Kevin Steele and and you know Brian Williams might have left at this point if they if they Mm -hmm. ended up hiring Kevin Steele and Miami football did not have even close to the season that Maryland had who knows if he regrets that even if they lose every game in Miami I'd still probably rather live in Miami than Maryland but who who knows what Kevin Steele Mm -hmm. was thinking but it is funny just to think about that—that that he re- was this close to becoming the defensive coordinator for Maryland, and would be for this season and probably for for the next couple of years because it wouldn't have just been a one year one year gig. And Brian Williams pretty, probably would have left at that point, but he had a prove it year as the defensive coordinator, and he proved that he is he is a rising star and and he got got those guys ready to play. And that was that. I mean, that was supposed to be the weakest part of this team, the defense, but they ended up being in a lot of games, keeping them in them in them, and even having them. Even the defense, especially the second half defense and the adjustments they made is, is what led them to a lot of those wins <clears throat> earlier on in the season. And Jay Sean Barham, obviously, um, is the star of that defense. He will be for years to come. Uh, we'd be remiss not to mention him. And it's notable that, you know, he was such a highly ranked recruit and that he's, he's sticking around on that defense. We've seen highly ranked recruits come to Maryland and then leave after the freshman seasons. It appears as of now, I think we would have heard by now if he was leaving, it appears he's sticking around for Maryland. He's going to be a cornerstone for that defense for years.
1: Without a doubt, um, what an impressive freshman year he had, a freshman All-American, and of course, a a cornerstone piece of that defense at at a very important position, like you mentioned. Um, I think if we're going to mention any other takeaways from this season, I think we'd also be remiss not to mention, you know, the talk of the team going into the season was the wide receiver room going along with, with Talia, and they were. Of course, uh, underwhelming. Emmett Siegel had a good write-up on that in his grades, which published this morning, uh, Wednesday, January fourth, um, talking about kind of how they underachieved. But in in the grand scheme of things, they still had a good year. I think it's important to note that the room should should be just fine moving forward. I know they lose a lot of talent, but if you can get Jay Sean Jones back for a six year to to lead the team as that number one guy, even if you don't, I think Ty felt improved this year. He he's a force to be reckoned with. Octavian Smith Jr. have proved, especially in that bowl game, that he is a really, really bright future. And then you got some other young guys, Shalik Knotts, um coming or uh, freshman Leon Halton Jr. Uh, excuse me, they're gonna be uh sophomores next year, and then Tyrese Chambers coming in from FIU and, and maybe Caden there from West Virginia as well. I think I think if one thing, um, you know, we talked about the wide receiver hype going into the year, I think if one thing we could take away after the season is that the room will be it'll be just fine moving forward.
0: Yeah, I don't think there's ever going to be concern with the wide receivers at Maryland. It's just that they had so much hype and, and discussion around them as really one of the top in the entire country coming to the season, especially with the quarterback that they had, Talia, throwing them the ball. And yeah, they didn't live up to the billing at all. That's no secret. There's still a bunch of talented guys, all of which may get drafted. To be honest with you, between Jacob Copeland, Ra'Kim Jarrett, and Dante Dimas Jr., we'll see what happens in April. Um, that's that's a really talented core. I also think part of it is, and when you look at the season, you know, it's it's the running back room. You, you go back to and to the beginning of the season. That was the biggest question mark for this team. Like, are are they going to be able to run the ball effectively? And who's going to be the lead back? Obviously, Roman Henby, redshirt freshman, exploded onto the scene. Uh he had. He was what, eight yards shy from two thousand yard season?
1: Uh, eleven, I think. Uh, eleven yards shy. Difference.
0: Yeah, he was very close to a two thousand yard season. He had a phenomenal year. So a lot of times they were riding uh their running back in the running game, which I don't think they expected to as much coming into the season. So that took a little bit away from Talia and the passing game and the receivers um as a whole. But let's talk about Talia for a second. Um by all by all accounts, he's sticking around for next year. It'll be his fourth year at Maryland next year. Um, I thought he took a little bit of a dip this season, and that's not entirely his fault. I think again, when you look at the numbers, they had a more they had a better running game this season than they've had in the years past. His receivers didn't live up to the billing. Um, his offensive line didn't necessarily live up to the billing with an experienced and veteran group. A lot of times he was running for his life, and he was hurt all year pretty much. He he only missed one game against Northwestern, but he dealt with a bunch of knee injuries. I think there was like an elbow, or sh- elbow or shoulder shoulder injury that was nagging him at one point. Uh, he just dealt with injury, nagging injuries all year, which is not easy for a quarterback. And and he's a tough kid. and He kept coming out there and kept wanting to play. Um, but that was part of it. But I I don't think this was you know I, I know he broke all these records this season. Um, and and if he sticks around another year, he will literally break every single quarterback record for Maryland pretty much. But he I don't think this this was his best year. I kind of saw him take a step backward, and and if he had any hope of going to the NFL. Um, which I'm sure he did this season was kind of a step backwards for that. And I'm sure it was for scouts that were, were evaluating him too.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. I think um the health definitely played a factor there. We saw him go down with, with that knee injury on, on multiple occasions this year. I I, I want to say multiple because I don't even remember how many times, you know, he even went down in that, that Rockers game and, and Eric Najarian had to come in for a little bit before Talia returned. And yes, he shattered, Every single record this year in the Maryland record book, I think it's important to note that, you know, I think the people who are anti Talia, um, you know, they got to remember the quarterback play before him because he's completely. I don't think anyone's
0: anti Talia. I think they just think there's there's a ceiling on on how good he can be.
1: Right, absolutely. and But but he's kind of changed, I think, the perception of the quarterback position and what the offense can do at Maryland. However, I, I think I do agree with you, Sam, that he regressed a little bit or, or maybe not even regressed, maybe just didn't improve is the right word. I think we still saw a lot of you know bad decisions, the interceptions against Michigan, the interceptions in the bowl game against NC State, taking sacks like that against NC State. Um, it seems like he was a little slow to react on some of these RPOs where he gets out of the pocket and he could have had, 20 yards of green grass ahead of him if he scrambled right away, but he was indecisive and didn't know what to do. So I think from a decision making standpoint, um, a little disappointing. I don't want to say regressed because it's not like we've we've seen him put to put forth a full season where he's been this automatic, bona fide decision maker where, you know, he's making the right move a hundred percent of the time. So I think that was a little bit disappointing on that uh, regard. However, I think it is important that, you know, he will be back next year from what we expect. Uh, Loxley said about a month ago that he expects him to be back to said he was still making some time to take some time to make the decision with his family but I would imagine he'll be back um, I, I'd have a hard time picturing him transferring out of the program but I I think you you hit the nail right on the head I, I don't I don't know if necessarily his play regressed this season but I think it was just we expected him to improve and and he did not yeah. and he was still what a second team all big 10 quarterback and still has that reputation yeah. of, of being one and, of the best in the conference, which which is a big deal. And, and him coming back to school would also be a, a really big deal.
0: For yeah. Me. And a big part of where people wanted to see improvement with him was his decision-making and turning the ball over less. And he did have three less interceptions this year than last year. He obviously played one less game. So that's part of it, but but that's still improvement um, because that, that was a big thing. And it should be noted that two seasons ago, those 11 interceptions, five were in one game against Iowa. So he really only had six in 12 other games. Um, but but still, I, I think thought his decision making was bad. He, better this year. He still had some boneheaded passes, a couple against Michigan, um, he had one of those in the bowl game, just passes that just bad balls clearly were were given up for the defense to intercept. Um, but I thought his decision making overall, especially when he was taking off with his legs and, and when he wasn't, uh, was better. But you know, if he's back next season. Um, it's, it's another thing to build on when you have that, he may not be an NFL guy, but he's still that talented of a college quarterback and he can, he can kind of kill a defense in so many ways with his legs, with his arm strength. And especially if they have a good offensive line in a running game, um, you know, this, this team is going to be good next season. How good? I don't think we know exactly. Kind of depends on how how a lot of those transfer portal additions play out. Sometimes you think they're going to be great. Like Jacob Copeland, and then he really is like no impact Um, on the team, even though he was a huge addition coming in. So it's kind of hard to predict those transfer guys, but they have a solid class, but they're losing a lot. You know, a lot of the hype around the team going into this season, um, this past season was that they had 15 returning starters um, between both sides of the bowl out of 22 total total starters. They're not going to have that this season. They're losing all their starting receivers, or most of them, we believe. They're losing a bunch of starting offensive linemen, starting safeties we talked about. Um, some defensive linemen. they're losing a lot, uh, and so I don't know if they're going to be able to replenish it that quickly. But do you see this team improving on the win total even next season, or even getting Tate wins? I'm just looking at their schedule right now. But like, do you see? What do you see kind of looking forward? Because last year we talked about that Pinstripe Bowl win, and it was such a huge, momentous uh, win. How they dominated them going to next season. Obviously, it, it worked. You know they they had a momen- they had momentum going to next season. They took care of their non conference schedule. Uh, they almost beat Michigan. Then they kind of started derailing a little bit due to due to some injuries too. But um, obviously, they improved the win total by one when the season's all said and done. So, what do you kind of see playing out for next season, real quick?
1: Yeah, I think probably that that eight win mark uh, is another reasonable goal for this team. Um, yeah, obviously, the team's going to aim for more, but I think from the outside looking in, they're still not on that level of, of the Michigans and Ohio States and Penn States until proven otherwise. Um, uh, block. I was funny. Loxley channeled his inner, you know, Deion Sanders coach prime at, at the end of that uh NC State game and said, Hey, if you're, if you're an offensive lineman, like come find me, which you know is important. They, they do need to build the offensive line. Um, I think expected to bring back Mason Lunsford. He hasn't announced everything, he has eligibility remaining. And then DJ Glaze is going to be the cornerstone there, but you're bringing in a transfer
0: while I'm linking Yeah, straight, Marcus
1: but... Doomerville. Oh, yeah, Mark um, from LSU is coming in. Um, they expect Andre Roy to step up, but they, they do need some more reinforcements on that line. So we'll see what happens there. I think the way the schedule breaks uh, up next year, they should be able to go 3-0 and with three home games in the non-conference. Yeah, I mean, House in also, it,
0: sh- it should be noted, Loxie's just destroyed the non-conference schedule. I mean, he, I think he's 10-1. and one, and His last loss was his first season of the year to Syracuse. Um, you know, not that they've had the most difficult non-conference schedules, but they have played in bowl games. And Loxy just takes care of the non-conference pretty easily.
1: Without a doubt. And, um, I think the way the, the, the teams from the West shape out, I think, you know, you don't have to play Wisconsin, you get Illinois at home, and then you get Northwestern on the road. Northwestern is is in a bad state right now. And then at Nebraska, um, a team that's rebuilding with Matt rule there, we'll see how they look in year one, but I think the schedule shapes out pretty nicely. I think eight, eight wins has got to be the expectation. If you're going to take another step forward, um, you won seven in the regular season this year, you got to go eight and four next year. I think, um, you don't really know how the roster is gonna completely look yet. Could be getting some game changers with O line guys or maybe more freshmen if, if Nick Harbour decides to come to Maryland. But I think just a way too early look, that's gotta be the minimum goal for this team. I, I think improvement even even minimally year by year has to be the goal.
0: Yeah. And then remember <clears throat> the eight wins comes with the bowl game too. So I mean the bowl eligible is the absolute floor. Like you you have to be bowl eligible year after year um at, at this point because that's the standard at this point especially when you're returning your starting quarterback and and you, you know you, you recruit the talent in the transfer portal that you do just looking at the schedule yeah i expect them to take a take care of non-conference schedule the, those those three games they have Rutgers, northwestern you expect them to take care of those games that's five wins right there um, but like look it's college football like you really never know like you look at michigan state last year um going into this past season on the schedule and you're like, that's a loss. Obviously, Michigan State had the worst season ever. I expect them to be much better next year. So at Michigan State, that that's going to be a really tough game. Indiana is not a great program, but I expect them to be better this season um, than they have been in the last couple years. Um, you know, I think you know, I I could see them getting to around seven wins. You know, if that upset finally comes over Penn State, over Michigan, <clears throat> over Ohio State at some point, because those three teams will always be on the schedule as long as they're divisions. Of course, this may be the last year without divisions next season, out, but we'll see. Um, but I could see them getting to seven wins pretty easily, and then they'll have an opportunity for that eighth win in a bowl game. Um, that Nebraska game is going to be pretty hard, especially at Nebraska. That's a tough road place, and yep. I think if anyone can rebuild a program quickly, it's Matt Rule. He's proven that. Um, so I think that's going uh, to that, that that's a loss to me. But really, what I'm looking at is the November schedule and the November football for this Maryland team, because that's when they got exposed this past year with the fact that they couldn't compete in the trenches with physical Big Ten teams. They were just dominated. They couldn't stop the run, and they couldn't run the ball effectively. So that's what I'm looking at in that November stretch when the weather gets ugly. It's cold. It, you're traveling out to the Midwest. It's rainy. You saw that with Wisconsin this year. You saw that with Penn State this year. I want to see improvements in November football for Maryland, and they have a tough November stretch. They're going to be playing Penn State in November once again, November 4th. Um, that's at home, but still, Penn State dominates Maryland year after year after year. We know that. Uh, then they're at Nebraska, like I talked about. It's a really tough November game, too. And then they're back at home um, against Michigan, which it, it's obviously Michigan. Uh, Jim Harbaugh might not be there, but it's, it's still going to be a phenomenal phenomenal Michigan team that will compete for a Big Ten title. Um, and, the, and then Rutgers, of course. So I don't want to see an 0-3 stretch. That's the biggest area we talk about, a next step. Yes, it's beating a Michigan, a Ohio State, a Penn State, but that next step is competing in November against physical teams in the trenches. So I don't want to see an zero and three stretch next season. Um, when you talk about what the next step looks like for next season, and this is almost a year away at this point, so we're getting really ahead of ourselves. But just to take a sneak peek um, at the twenty twenty three season for Maryland.
1: Yeah, couldn't couldn't agree more with that November stretch. You got to capitalize because uh, this year's certainly an embarrassment in November. Yeah, start.
0: Right. Yeah, let's uh. So let's go to speaking of embarrassments. Let's talk about Maryland men's basketball. Um, not a lot of positive coming out of that program these days. After an eight-no start to the season, um, this looked like a team. Andy Katz and Andy Katz is phenomenal. Thank you for retweeting my tweet. But he had the number as a number two seed in the NCAA tournament. I think even Maryland fans thought that was a little bit ridiculous. Um, a lot. There was a lot of hype around this program. Obviously, I think as they got as high as sixteen, right, in the AP poll. Yeah, that 13. was that was thirteen. They they were thirteen in the AP poll at one point. There was a lot of hype around this program, and we're three weeks later now, almost a month later, and this looks like a team that may not even make the tournament. They have been god awful. They have four straight losses against power five opponents. Um, and those four losses are combined or by an average of, I believe, 17 and a half points. It's, it's been ugly. They, the The UCLA loss was excusable, and I made excuses for them. But, you know, and then they, they have a little bit of break. They have the non-conference schedule. Too bad, non-conference teams. They handle the business. Don't really care about those games. Julian Reese returns from injury after the shoulder injury they suffered against UCLA. And they just go to Michigan and get absolutely embarrassed. I mean, that was 17 to 0. Maryland didn't score their first field goal. Until eight minutes into the game, the first point on a free throw came five minutes into the game. This isn't some phenomenal Michigan team. You know, we're not talking about a Michigan team that's even one of the best in the Big Ten. This is a mid-tier Big Ten team this year in Michigan that's going to be on the bubble. And right now, Maryland's not even on the bubble. They're on the outside looking in squarely. And this is a really tough. It's really tough to win on the on in on the road in the Big Ten. But this is a really tough conference, and you know, things are just not looking good. Like we can go in the specifics in a minute, but like what are you thinking right now, Ben? I mean, it's it's the last five halves of six
1: halves that they've played against legitimate competition with all due respect to St. Peter's and UMBC. They've been non-competitive, totally non-competitive. You take, you take away that second half against Tennessee. I mean, the first half against Tennessee, the UCLA game and the Michigan game was some of the worst basketball I've ever seen Maryland play. And I think the 8 start was, you know, it ha- obviously fool's gold. I think you have to say, um, you know, it, and it is year one for Kevin Willard. This isn't really his team, but I, I mean, I don't want to make excuses for him. It's, it's embarrassing because this team has lost its, its DNA and its identity. I wrote about it after the Michigan game, this team, you know, when they were 8-0, everyone was talking about, oh man, this buy-in un- under Willard in year one has been incredible. The intensity they play at, you know, easier said than done for 40 minutes in, in a college basketball game when when you deal with the ups and downs of 18 to 22-year-olds is incredible. And they were playing fast. I mean, that was Willard's, you know, motto before the season even started. They were going to play fast and, and run the ball up the court. It seems like all of that has completely dissipated. I mean, that Michigan game, not only did they get embarrassed and they were down 17-0 at the under-16 media timeout and ended up losing by 35, it, it seemed like it just wasn't Maryland basketball. It wasn't what we were used to seeing. I mean, they they, they were getting out-hustled. Uh, there were careless turnovers. Um, it seems like the game plan for Hunter Dickinson was horrendous. I mean, the, the amount of times that guy had, had one man on him where the book is on him, I mean – the book on on Dickinson, whether you're coaching Kentucky or you're coaching Lower Maryland Middle School, is is you're sending like my two, high school. <laughs> you're sending two guys at him, and it's it's I don't know. I was completely disheartened, and you know from from a Maryland standpoint, watching that game and and just putting in, into the big picture what we've seen in that game, that first half against Tennessee and the game against UCLA. I mean, where is the team we watched in these first eight games just from a competitive standpoint?
0: There's a, there's a bunch of different points to break down here. Before we get into the specific, specifics of the Michigan game, um, I just want to say this is not an indictment on Kevin Willard at all. So all the fans that are trying to say that, just stop it. Like, it's it's just not at all. And I get the point, like, oh, you want to give them credit when they're 8-0, but you don't want to criticize them uh, when, they're, when, they're, when they're down or when they're losing a lot. This isn't his team at all. And the, the reality is this is a really bad roster. Like it just is. And this isn't his roster. He didn't recruit any. I mean, obviously the transfer portal guys, he kind of got to plug and play, but this just isn't his roster. Yeah, he, he, he doesn't even have a single recruiting class from him Um, that that's coming in. That will be next year will be his first recruiting class. So this isn't his roster. It's not an indictment on him. So the fans that are, are panicking about that in his first year, stop it. But it, it, it is a little confusing. And this is a little criticism on Willard that they have gotten away from their identity. You know, you talk about it, you know, it, it was incredible the job he was doing in the beginning. The fact that this wasn't a good roster and the fact that, that these weren't really his guys necessarily and he got them to buy in on the defensive end so well. And, you know, he said coaches were calling him and saying, like, how are you getting these guys to play so hard defensively? And he he said, this is what he told them. If it's true or not, who knows? But he said, this is what he told them, that I that my philosophy is, you know, if you play hard defensively, you can do pretty much whatever you want offensively. And now we're seeing and, and, that, and that was working. You know, they were clicking offensively. The defense was the strong suit, even against Tennessee. Their defense is what carried them. Um, their offense wasn't particularly well, but they competed against one of the well, a national title contender against Tennessee in that second half after going down big. But now what we're seeing is a team that's doing whatever they want offensively, but not playing hard defensively. You know, he's benched guys in the Michigan games, kind of make a statement. He's tried to bring Don Carey off the bench because he was struggling and start Ian, Ian Martinez instead. Nothing's working. Um, it, it is confusing that they're not playing hard and with the intensity that was so obvious in the beginning of the season, especially off a long break. You know, like you had a long break. You had two non-conference games against not great opponents. You won by 30 uh, again, against those teams. And and now you go you go into Michigan you're literally sleepwalking through the first ten minutes of the game it's it's really confusing it's weird and and the other point is you talked about uh the play style you know that was something that Willard kept talking about and it was evident the play style they were pressing from the get go and you know to 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 his credit or to to a point that he likes to bring up you can't really press at all unless you have made baskets and when you score zero points. Ah uh, through the first five plus minutes of the game, it's hard to, it's hard to to press because you're not making any baskets, but they're they're not pressing as much as they were they're they're not playing with the pace and 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 kind of moving the ball up the floor quickly like they were earlier in the season and that that's what what I think allow uh, allows a small team like this one to flourish It's to get the ball out of the rim and push it and push it and push it and, push it. and yet press when you can off made baskets, but you want to push the ball at a high rate when you're a small team. And they're just not doing that at all. And, you know, they are a really small team. So when you have a guy like Hunter Dickinson, and you have a guy like Zach Eady who you're going to play um, in the big for Rutgers, who is phenomenal, who I can't exactly pronounce his name, but he's, he's going to eat against Maryland um, tomorrow. And we'll talk about that Rutgers game in a minute. But when you have guys like that, it's 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 there's really like almost no answer. Like they're they're not fronting the post. Should you front the post? Do you throw two guys to them? You can't really play Patrick Million and Julian Reese at the same time because that just would be horrific offensively. Um they both fouled out though. Like against Michigan, Julian Reese had five thousand, Patrick Million at five thousand, Hunter Dickinson at thirty two points, thirteen for sixteen from the field. Like he just got whatever looks he wanted, and any big in the Big Ten is gonna get whatever looks they want. There's so many problems with this team right now. Um, but but yeah, like the biggest thing is it's weird that they've gone away from the play style um, that was working earlier earlier on in the season, and the defensive intensity is just is just so different. Um, it's night and day from what it was a month ago.
1: No doubt, and of course, you know you mentioned that philosophy, and, and you can do whatever you want on deep on offense as long as you play hard on defense, and that has kind of gone away. And the two parts of the game undoubtedly impact each other you look at the box score from the maryland michigan game maryland shot 30.2 percent from two two point range do you know how hard that is to do to make only 30 percent of your two pointers it was they just couldn't get any sort of offense going it it was it was it was a miserable performance to have to watch all 40 minutes i'm sure a lot of you who are listening probably turned the game off after halftime or maybe after the under 16 timeout. but uh you know we had to watch the the whole 40 minutes there and it was it was it was tough. I mean, to have your two bigs foul out so so early in the game, like Julian Reese. I I understand maybe he's not one hundred percent healthy, and I think Willard mentioned that 1000000 has been dealing with a little bit of an injury too. But you look, Patrick Million's a serviceable player. You can't really rely on him to stop hundred Dickinson at six foot seven. Hundred Dickinson is six more inches on him. But Julian Reese, I, I think. It, from a physicality standpoint, it's it's definitely a little concerning, and maybe maybe you know he's not this this true five that the staff wants him to be. But you know they've also kind of taken away his shot, um, which is you know is another big wonder that we've wondered about uh, with with him. I, I think that's kind of on the uh, the back burner of, of what we got to worry about with this team right now, though. Sam, uh, it was easier to, to talk about when they were playing well, but just d- defensively they were just getting diced up. It, it seemed like Hunter Dickinson was just. You know, any anytime you put one guy on Hunter Dickinson, it it's really not gonna end well, especially when you're undersized. And I I mentioned it before, I'll mention it again. And offensively, when, when you're not making buckets and you don't have a, a go to guy that's stepping up, it's hard for that, you know, intensity to carry over for the defensive end for 40 minutes straight because nothing is going your way at all.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's there's like so there's so much ugliness with this team right now. And and, you know, when you talk about the horrible, like, we could go on and on about the horrible shooting numbers from three, from two-point range, even from free throws. I mean, they shot 56% from free throws um, against Michigan. You know, we could talk about those horrible numbers. But one of the things Willard said after the game was um, he said that we got to find ways to score against bigs. Um You know, that's kind of hard to do when you're a small team and you can't pound it inside when you can't shoot the ball at all either. Like the way you score against bigs is um is kind of perimeter action and and setting up threes for looks. And Willard said or setting up looks for threes. And Willard said it said it earlier this year. If this is gonna be a team that that is gonna compete with some of the best teams in the conference and, and in the country, they need to win the three point battle. It's because they're a smaller team and they're not coming close to winning the three-point battle. They're shooting horrifically from three right now. And and that's what's kind of this offense is there's been a lid on the rim for this offense and it's kind of confusing because they're not like bad shooters. Like Dante Scott has proven throughout his career he has stretches where he's a great shooter. In the beginning of this season, he was a great shooter, but now he's really regressed from three. Hakeem Hart too. Don Carey has not got going. He's had a couple games here and there, but he has really, really, really struggled from three. And he's supposed to be the best shooter on this team and a and a sharp shooter. You talked about they've completely taken Julian Reese's shot away that we kind of saw flashes of in his freshman season. But it's just been, it's been bad. Like from top to bottom, it's, it's been bad. This entire team offensively has no rhythm from three. Uh, They just can't connect. And when, you know, that's the way you score against bigger teams. You, you win the three point battle and they have no chance of winning the three point battle against anyone, even maybe not even against Rutgers who attempts at least threes in the entire big 10, uh, who they're going to play tomorrow. You might not have a chance to win three point battle against them. And just to your point about Julian Reese, you know, everyone talks about college basketball. There's a lot been written about. This is the year of the big. This is the year of the big. Um, and especially in the Big Ten, this is the year of the big. Drew and Reese, at this point of his career, is not even close to the level of the top bigs in the conference or the country. And that's just the reality. From a physicality physicality standpoint, from a toughness standpoint, from a rebounding standpoint, from a... uh. uh Talent and skill standpoint, he's just not on those guys' level right now. He's he's good. There's no question about it. He's good. And he has a lot of potential, but he's just not at those guys' level right now. And and he's kind of getting exposed in a lot of those matchups, and we're seeing that. And I, it's still a mystery to me what has happened to his his shot, um, and why he just won't shoot it. Ever. I get he was playing with Kudus Wahab a uh, little bit last season, so he, he kind of had to play more of a traditional 4 role. but now in a five position, you know it still would help this team if they played a spread-out offense, if Julian Reese could shoot the ball from from deep, and last year he could at a decent level. Now his shot looks different. If we haven't even seen him really attempt an outside shot this season, there's just a lot that's just ugly, and, and the reality is it's not a good enough roster where you're going to get this fixed, so things are going to take an ugly, ugly turn this season.
1: Yeah, it's also from a from a size standpoint, from Julian Rees, too, he's also just smaller than these guys. Um, but I think just back to your initial point, this team just, just can't shoot, Sam, they're not a good shooting team. I mean, it, it was – well, they had five threes against Michigan, five for 25, and what, Jahari Long had one in the second half. Ian Martinez had three to start the game. Cornish had one in the second half. He didn't even play in the first half, by the way. That was a little curious there. Team Hart won three and Jameer Young won three. I mean – Don Carey was 0 for eight from three against Michigan, and and I hate to rat on the guy because he had a good game against UMBC. I think it was breakout game five or seven from three. But he's shooting he's shooting twenty five point three percent from three. I mean that they, they they that was a huge part of of what the team needed this year. Their identity. Don Carey came in as this three point sniper, and and there's times where you can tell he can shoot but he's he's only shooting 25.3% from three. And I don't want to single him out because there's so much going wrong with this team where one small thing, isn't going to fix the whole puzzle, but it's, that's concerning. Um, if, we both mentioned Juju. That's concerning. I think Jameer Young has regressed a little bit, unfortunately. You know, it, it seemed like he could handle that physicality of the Big Ten with that game against Illinois, but he was terrible against UCLA. He was, he was really bad against Michigan as well. There's just a, a lot yeah, I mean, wrong with this team right now, and, and they got to figure it out.
0: Just the point about Jameer Young, something that I'm seeing with him is is he's struggling to break shoulders in a way that we saw earlier this season. You know, he's not getting downhill as yeah. effectively as he was earlier the season, and the film is kind of out on him of, of what to do, especially against the pick the the pick and rolls. You know when when guys are coming up and setting a screen for him, the defense is hard hedging, sometimes even blitzing, and he's really struggling. Uh, kind of making decisions out of that and turning a quarter or finding finding his big. So the film's kind of out on him of what to do with that, and you know unless he makes strides in that area, it's it's it's, it's teams are just going to continue to continue to do that. And, and he's going to struggle in that pick and roll. The biggest mystery to me is Dante Scott. Um, because this guy he came into the season looking really thin, looking really athletic, um, like ready to go. Like this guy might turn back into an NBA prospect. You know, he was kind of, there was flashes of that in his sophomore season. He went away from that a lot last season where no one really thought he was an NBA player. And, you know, at the beginning of this season, there was kind of back to flashes of it, um and I did a whole film breakdown kind of outlining. I said they're gonna have to find more creative ways to get him the ball in his spots as the competition gets better. And I don't think Maryland's staff has done a particularly good job about that. So I think it's it's kind of a two-way street. I don't think they've been putting him in the best positions. You know, you're not seeing a lot of pick and pop from him. That's kind of how he can get open three looks. You see the trail three a little bit, but not as much as I would like to see necessarily. Um not not that I'm a basketball coach by any means. They I'm sure they know what they're doing, but I just don't see Dante Scott getting the ball in situations where, where he can flourish. You know, the, the teams are kind of cu- uh, doubling him a little bit. You've seen over the last few games when he gets the ball in that mid post because the film's out on him, that's where he loves, he loves to operate, but they're not doing a good job of just of running place to isolate him on a block um, where he can go for a right or left hook hook, which is obviously his bread and butter So I think it's partly on him, but partly on the coaches, too, because we're just we've seen a huge regression from him. I mean, (laughs) this is a guy that Kevin Willard at the beginning of the season said he should be an all Big Ten guy averaging 18 points and 10 rebounds a game. We are far, far from that at this point. He's really struggled. Um, I think he was averaging 15 points per game or something around that through his first seven games of this season. And then the last seven games, that number's dropped by like five or six points. I think it's around 10 points per game for him now Um, in those last seven games. You know, it's just, it's, it's, you know, when your best players are struggling, especially shooting the ball, because Dante's guys not shot the three ball particularly well, and that's on him. But when your best players are struggling offensively, your team is probably going to struggle offensively. And there's just been nothing positive to take away. It's been really ugly. I don't necessarily have the solution. I don't know if there is a solution, Um, to be honest with you. Like, I know the coaches are trying very hard. To find what How are we going to find ways to score against bigger teams? But I don't know if there's a solution on this roster. And there's going to be some games that, you know, you should never lose a game by 35 points. That was the biggest loss that Maryland's had in any game since it entered the Big Ten. That's just embarrassing. You should never get bullied and, you know, out-efforted, if that's a word, and out-energized the way they did. But they're going to have a tough time just scoring the ball for consistent stretches against a lot of these teams in the Big Ten.
1: Yeah, and I think one thing we've seen with Dante, you talk about that mid-post, is his bread and butter. He's just had that turnaround shot, too. It seems like his shot selection has regressed as well, where he's just settling from from three and then taking raw shots. Um, not really set. Um, n- not you know the shot selection you want to see from him in general because he's at his best when he's creating for himself and his teammates, which kind of allows him you know to get into the rhythm of the game and take those threes and, and capitalize on, on making some of them. But look, he was over three against Michigan from three, 0 for five against UMBC, two for five against Saint Peter's, two for six against UCLA. Over six against Tennessee, no one shot that well from three in that game, um, and then two for seven against Wisconsin. So I think the shot selection is also one thing to me that stands out for him, um, where we've kind of seen his worst moments in his Maryland career, where he's kind of settled and and regressed a little bit there. But you talk about you know the worst loss from from uh, Maryland entering the Big Ten. Is is there anything else you want to talk about? Um, Regarding that Michigan game, or, or it's it's kind of one you just put in the, the rear view mirror and and yeah, move I mean on.
0: you you like you watch the film, you absolutely kill every play. Um, like like you just, you, I mean, you hammer into your guys every play that you saw little effort that you saw ugliness offensively. Um, you evaluate that as a coaching staff, but then you move on pretty quickly. I mean, you would hope that there is never a game the rest of the season that's as ugly as that one. Even the UCLA game, you know, they look tired in front of a great home crowd. That was more expected. That was like a scheduled loss in my mind, and they didn't lose nearly as bad as Michigan. You know, you kind of you flush that pretty quickly, and you move on. But there's a lot that you kind of can watch in that film and be like, like, how are you? What is this effort defensively? Like, what are we doing offensively here? It's so stale. We're passing around the perimeter with five guys on the perimeter for for twenty seconds. um, There's no dribble drive penetration. You know, we're, we're, we're not running off ball action. There's so, there's so much to take away, but you also want to flush it down the toilet pretty quickly. And like, this was just, this was ugly and you hope, and you expect that a loss like that does not happen the rest of the season. If you're Kevin Willard, probably the rest of your entire Maryland career.
1: Look, you have, you have to be competitive against Rutgers. There's, there's no other result there. I mean, it's, it's not a place you go in and expect to win. And I I don't think either you or me expect that they will, but you have to be competitive
0: or you're yeah. going to you're going mean, to lose
1: a lot of the fan base in year 1.
0: Yeah, I mean losing the fan not, base. not
1: like not like permanently, but I'm saying for for this year given the start. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Every, I, think, I, I think if, fans if everyone's will be out. not out, if people aren't out right now, if you don't compete against rockers, it's uh, there there's, you know, all all juice is going to be gone and and you're you might be definitely talking about, you know, an NIT team instead of a tournament team. Yeah,
0: you think they'd accept an nit bid?
1: (laughs) We'll see.
0: (laughs) We don't want to get too ahead of ourselves here. Two weeks ago, we were saying lock for tournament. Now we're talking about if they'll accept an nit bid. Lock and change in college basketball. But just looking ahead, um, for a second, yeah, you talk about that Rutgers game. You know, this team needs to go at least, at the very least, nine and eleven in my mind in the Big Ten to make the tournament. Um, one game under five hundred, obviously. And that, and I, and I give them the benefit of the doubt of, of that because of the start they had to the season, and because of um, they're going to have the best strength of schedule, or one of the best strength of schedules that any team in the entire country, especially when you're when you're on the bubble and that really matters. That's going to come up huge. When because I think this is going to be a bubble team all year. I don't think at any point you can solid. You you will surely say this team will be in, or you're ever going to point going say this team surely out. I mean, if they lose four straight here. Uh, with Rutgers, Ohio State, Iowa. Yeah, this team is surely out of the tournament. No doubt about that. But I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think at any point you kind of say, um, "Uh, like, this team is, this team is, excuse me, this team is surely in or surely out. They're going to be a bubble team all year. But just looking ahead of the schedule, yes, they have Rutgers. We can do predictions for that in a second. They have Ohio State back at home, which Ohio State might be the best team in the Big Ten. They're really good. Um, Yeah, I say that over Purdue, even though I still think it's Purdue. Then they are on the road against Iowa, a bad Iowa team. that's had some bad losses this season, but still on the road against Iowa. They're back at home against Michigan. You expect them to clean that up. Then they have Purdue and Wisconsin get it home. Just looking at the stretch, you know, yeah, let's, all right, let's do predictions for Rutgers first, then we can look at the stretch. Because I'm just like, yeah, I mean, this is a really tough stretch. Yeah, but but the thing is, when you look at the entire Big Ten schedule, there's no gimme night in or night out. Maybe Minnesota will be that. But Minnesota. But they just competed
1: with, with Wisconsin yeah, last night. They exactly. Like, the there's no
0: gimme. Like, you look at the Big Ten every night, there's no bad teams. Nebraska's good this season. Penn State is a tournament team this season. You know, there's no bad teams in the Big Ten.
1: Without a doubt, and you know, before we make this prediction, I kind of want to talk about how does this team respond to a big loss like that because I think with UCLA you didn't really get to see the the true response given the fact that they had eight days off before playing St. Peter's and then UMBC a week later, but now it's a a quick turnaround. It's league play. Four days later, you got Rockers on the road, one of the toughest places to play in the Big Ten and the country. I pulled some results um, just from Seton Hall and and Willard's time there coming off 20-plus point losses, a little bit of a mixed bag. Last year, January 24th, they lost at home to St. John's by 21. It's a really bad loss, but then they came out and lost the next game at home by 10 to Marquette. Not a good response there. January 6th, 2021, the COVID year, given the benefit of the doubt here, lost by 26 at Creighton, came back and beat to Paul on the road. Then they lost three in a row after that. December 14th, 2019, Maryland fans will remember this stretch. Uh, Seton Hall lost by 20 to Rutgers and then they came back and and beat Maryland in an absolute rock fight at the Prudential Center. I was in attendance there. Um, January 27th, 2019, lost by 28 at Villanova or 2018, maybe might have gotten mixed up with years, years, but regardless, lost by 28 at Nova. Then they came back and beat Providence. That's a really good response there. Um, So we'll see. I I think which which result do we see there? Do we see maybe that they just got killed uh, on the road? and they come back and and compete against a really good team and can squeak out a good winning and, and, you know, compete there. Is it what we saw last year from Seton Hall where they lost by 21 to a not very good St. John's team? And then they came out, they lost at home to Marquette by 10. So we'll see. Definitely a mixed bag there. But I I thought the listeners would, would find that interesting in terms of how Willard's teams have responded to, you know, 20 plus point losses over the years. But into the prediction here, um, you know Ken Palm project, projects rockers by six. Um, do you, you think that's fair, Sam?
0: Yeah, I think it's fair. I mean, look, this is a you know you know in some way it, it favors Maryland the fact that they just got blown their doors off of. they were just embarrassed and bullied I mean, they were embarrassed against Michigan, and then on the other side, rockers coming off a huge upset with. so it kind of favors Maryland a little bit like there's more energy and excitement. And desperation for this Maryland team, but um, Rutgers obviously at home. That's a very tough place to play. I see. I, I see that line being around accurate. I don't think Maryland's going to get their doors blown off. I think Rutgers. Rutgers is the best defensive team in the Big Ten. Uh, they allow the they they attempt very few threes, and they they attempt the fewest threes in the entire Big Ten. But they also have the best three point defensive percentage in the country. Or excuse me, in the Big Ten. And Maryland obviously, as we've seen, has really struggled from three. So that's not going to go over well. You know this Maryland struggled to score against anybody, especially against Michigan, who isn't a particularly great defensive team. So when you go up against a great defensive team on the road, I don't know how this team is going to score, but I do think we're going to see a better effort, better energy from Maryland. You know, Rutgers is the better team; like, there's no doubt about it. They're they're more talented. Uh, they're they're just the better team. So I I see that line being or that that prediction being around right. I would say Rutgers by like four, to be honest with you. Yeah, we'll
1: see. I I mean, you would you would hope that Maryland competes after a performance like that. And I guarantee you that, you know, these past few days of practice have been absolutely brutal for this team as as they try and get back on track. and And Kevin Lord called it a complete failure after the Michigan game, which it was. You have to compete against Rutgers. I don't think there's no ends if or buts ifs or buts about that. If you don't compete against Rutgers, the season can go off the rails. Because guys, guys. You know, buy-in turns to complete buy-out and guys are checked out. I think Rutgers defense does make the difference here. Not only that three-point perimeter defense, like you mentioned, but they're third best in Ken Palm and adjusted defensive efficiency in all the country. I think this Rutgers play style might suit Maryland a little more. I think the key here, well, you know, it might sound simpler than 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 not. Maryland's got to make some buckets early. They can't afford these bad starts because like you said, Sam, and like Willard said, and like every basketball coach will tell you anywhere, you got to make buckets to press. And I think is going to need to speed this game up and get it to where their identity was back when they were eight. and No, because we just haven't seen any of that remotely yeah. in a month plus. So if you if you can make some buckets and kind of set the tempo there, then you'll be able to compete. I just i I can't see them winning this game. I I think Rutgers by six or I will go Rutgers by seven because I don't want to go with that ex- exact line, but yeah. I think Rutgers Rutgers by single digits. I think you see a Maryland team that. Competes because they have to. I think you, it's a desperate yeah. Maryland team.
0: That's a that's an important uh, key because you know that's kind of the way to beat Maryland, like beat Rutgers. You don't want to get them into a half court setting where they're so good with their half court defense. You want to speed them up and get out and transition and get baskets. And you have to score to press, of course. But you want to press as often as you can. Uh, you want to play really up tempo, which we haven't seen in a while. You don't want to play stale basketball. And if you're getting into the half court setting. Rutgers defense is phenomenal and you're just really going to struggle to score. So I think you want to, that's a really uh, good key by you is you really want to, this is a, this is the exact type of game where you want to play with a lot of tempo. You want to play fast. You want to press when you can. And that's kind of the key to beating Rutgers. But like you said too, if they get off to a bad start, they have no chance in this game, especially on the road in a great environment that is now Jersey Mike's arena, formerly the rack, you know, they have, they have no chance if they're going to, um, if they're getting off to a bad start against Wisconsin, they were down by double digits, got off to a bad start, came back against Tennessee. We know they were down by almost 20 and they came back. Um, but and against UCLA and Michigan, they got off to horrible starts and couldn't come back. You cannot uh, get off to a bad start this game. You need to be competing from the rip, you know, like earlier in the season when they got off to great starts against like Miami and St. Louis. Miami team, by the way, was going to look like a great win by the end of the season for Maryland. But you get off to phenomenal shooting starts and your defensive intensity was great from the from the rip, from opening tip-off. You know, I think that's going to be really key. Uh, you just can't. If you get off to a bad start on the road against Rutgers, you're going to fall in a hole and you're never going to dig yourself out of it. It's going to get ugly. Um, but I agree. I think it's going to be a single-digit game. I do think Maryland can competes, but Rutgers' defense is too good and Maryland's offense is too bad. And they've just been struggling to score. I don't see. I think Rutgers is the better team, and I, I think they win, even coming off a huge win um, against Purdue.
1: Yeah, I think we're in the, the on the same sentiment here. I think this will be one of, if not the toughest environment that that Maryland will play in all year, just given you know the fact that the rack. I'm, I'm not going to call it Jersey Mike's Arena. It just sounds sacrilegious to say that, um, is they just beat the number one team in the country for the second straight year? Like this, this Steve Peichel – The job that he's done with this Rutgers program is is second to none. Unbelievable. Um, Taking a program that was the bottom of the bottom and turned them into a perennial NCAA tournament team is nothing short of amazing.
0: They're going to make the NCAA tournament this year if it will be the third consecutive year. I don't think they made it since 1993 before 2020.
1: And they would have made the COVID tournament too. So it just speaks volumes to what he's been able to do with that program. I think we're on the same wavelength. Would you say Rockers by four? I, I think I've Rockers by seven. Um, it, it's just, it's just going to be a really tough place to win. And, and I think, you know, the sky's not going to be falling. If, if Maryland loses this game, it'll be falling if they get killed.
0: Yeah. But I, I do want to just look ahead real quick and we'll wrap up uh, just the last, the, the next few games on the schedule and kind of the six game stretch that's coming up. Obviously Maryland sits one and two in the big 10 right now, but it, it's a tough six game stretch coming up. And, you know, why we were so high on this team earlier this year is because you know, they came in, everyone thought they had no chance of making the tournament. It was going to be a dis- bad, not disastrous, but a bad year. Uh, Not Willard's team, you know, not a great roster. And we didn't think very highly of these players coming into the season. And that's why that everyone, no one did. That's why they were finished. Mm-hmm. They were picked to finish 10th in the Big Ten. But then they were exceeding all expectations. Dante Scott looked like an all Big Ten player, all Big Ten first team player to, to start the season. Hakeem Hart became a very consistent scorer, getting 14, 15 guy, uh, uh, points a game. Jameer Young came in, looked like a great Big Ten guard uh, immediately. You know, all these guys were exceeding the expectations we had for them. But now they're kind of regressed to what we thought they were and what we thought they would be um, at this point of the season at this point in the season and that's they're kind of back to that I mean right now they're they're actually 10th in the Big 10. I don't think they'll I think they'll finish better than 10th, but it is kind of funny right now through three games they're 10th in the Big 10, which is where they were finished or picked to finish um at the start of the season. But let's just talk about the stretch coming up real quick. After Rutgers, they have home against Ohio State, a, a contender in the Big 10, on the road against Iowa, Michigan at home. They, then they're on the road against Purdue, who Rutgers just beat, but is still the number 1 team in the entire country as of now. And then um, they're back at home against Wisconsin for that second game of the year. You know, I think this is an incredibly important six game stretch where they need to go um, three and three. If they go anything less than three and three, I think this is a season that kind of, I think this is, is going to be a season that they don't make the NSA tournament. Just putting it point blank. And I, and I actually see a path where they go them in three. I think they lose to Rutgers. I think they lose to Ohio State. I could see them going on the road and beating Iowa. Um, who now is going to be without Patrick McCaffrey. Um, they're going to, they're, it's just not a great Iowa team this year, to be honest with you. And then they play Michigan at home. You know, that's a game fans are going to love to see Hunter Dickinson. And it's a game that Maryland is going to watch that film over and over and over again and not want to get embarrassed at home. Um, I don't see them beating Purdue on the road, but then even though they almost did last year, but and then. And then they have Wisconsin for the second time. You know, playing a team second time, it's kind of an advantage, I think, especially at home for, for the losing team. So I could see them beating Iowa, Michigan, and Wisconsin in that stretch. And they finished at three and three, which would be encouraging, but I also could easily see them ending up two and four in that stretch. And then I kind of think this season is 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 a wash.
1: Yeah, I don't think I see more than, than two wins there. Um I think they'll lose to Rockers. I think they'll lo- oh, probably lose to Ohio State at home. That's that's a tough game given that the students are on break. There's not gonna be much of an, an environment there. Um Iowa on the road, I understand they had some bad losses, but that place always is is ready to play during league play. Um and, you know, who's to say that, you know, I yes, I was on a bad stretch, but, but so is Maryland. So I, I don't I don't know if I like Maryland in that one. I think they'll get revenge on Michigan at home. I think we saw a great Michigan game against a bad Maryland game plan and performance. Michigan's not that good in my opinion. Um as, you know, lost to Central Michigan and, and other games indicated there. Um, there's no chance they went at Mackey Arena on January 22nd. And then uh, Wisconsin at home, I, I think that's a win because just a, a random side note here, the AP polls just continuously lifting Wisconsin when they haven't played anyone or played at all in these past few weeks. It's kind of just that that poll is just so out of touch. Uh, Kevin Sweeney at Sports Illustrated had a good column on that. Um, I don't think Wisconsin is the number 14 team in the country. There's a very big differential between the Ray right people ranking and, and
0: 49 in camp right now but yeah, but but i um well that is a good point just because also miami's ranking you saw maryland just destroy miami yeah. like the way more talented team and miami's obviously a top 15 team right now but i do think wisconsin is a contender in the big 10 i will say that
1: yeah we'll see i i think that's that's a game you got to win at home or or there's problems though i would if 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 you're going to be a tournament team um but yeah I, i'm gonna go um two and four in that stretch. Um, I, you I just think do you agree that if
0: you think that if they go anything other than three and three this season, I, I think it's a very difficult path to make the tournament. Uh, yes, I, I, I would, I would say so because you got to finish nine and 11
1: in the big 10, in my opinion. And I think you, you count some wins with Minnesota and Northwestern at home. You hope at Nebraska is no longer an easy win, um, at Minnesota also on the road. It's never easy. Um, but you get Nebraska at home as well. I think it helps that they're playing. You know, Nebraska and Minnesota both twice. Um, Penn State to end the season on the road is really tough game. I I just I really don't know. I'm, I I need to see more of this team and, and how they respond before I make any uh, grand predictions of of their tournament prospects. But uh, if they go two and four in the stretch, they're they're definitely going to be digging themselves in a hole because they would be three and six in the Big Ten.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, we'll learn a lot Uh, the rest of this week against Rutgers and Ohio State, not necessarily based on the win- wins or losses, but just in terms of how they respond and how they compete against two teams that are better than them and they'll be underdogs against. But we'll learn a lot about this team. And then after this Sunday against Ohio State, they'll have a week off before they travel to Iowa. Um, so So we'll see. I mean. Right now, it's very ugly in College Park. Um, after very after expectations were completely reset after a you know start, could this team be a contender in the Big Ten? Could they be a top seed in the tournament? That is all flipped upside its head. Um, and and things things are not going right right now. But that's that's the college basketball season. There's ups, there's downs. We'll see if if we'll get more ups than downs moving forward. But uh, we'll see how it all plays out. Yes, we will. It is a long season, and the perception changes every week. So, yep. All right. Uh, well, that, that's all. We talked a lot of bowl game, a lot of Maryland basketball, and we appreciate everyone listening. We'll be back next week, Uh, breaking down the, the Rutgers game and the Ohio State game. We'll have a better picture of this Maryland men's basketball team. Talk a little bit uh Maryland women's basketball, who's now ranked 13th in the country. Um, And yeah, so we'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening, everyone.